You are listening to Prophet Pearls with Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson, exploring biblical prophecy for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Welcome to Prophet Pearls, recorded live in Jerusalem, the city of the prophets in the eternal capital of Israel, with Keith Johnson and Nehemia Gordon. That's me. Hey, no, listen, we are in Israel, Nehemia. We're in the land of Israel. We're doing a two-week intensive. Literally, it's a two-week intensive. For those who don't realize... Mm-hmm. What we've decided to do is we came together and we said for two weeks we're going to record everything. We prepared for several weeks, obviously, for this. Um, we have people who are our Prophet Pro partners, our uh, you know servants of El Elyon are actually the folks that are doing this one. But we have people that um, have made comments and, and some that haven't made comments during this time, but will add their comments in the comment section at NehemiahWallsWall.com and BFAInternational.com. But uh, we've got a lot of people that have been praying for us, that are entering with us. But this is, an, a major, this is a major thing. We're here at a really interesting time in Israel. But for this two weeks, we're, we're literally every single day studying, reading, discussing, praying about the Word of God. And that's exciting. I mean, I just got to tell you today, I thought to myself, what kind of a deal is this? I get to talk about the Word of God all day today. It's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. So we're in 2 Kings today, chapter 4, verse 42 is where we start. And I want to know why this section snuck in there uh, before the other section. That's, that's, what, I'm, that's what I really want to know. Before what other section were you talking about? Well, there's two sections. There's this section here. Uh, it's just a few verses. And then it deals with the, yeah. with, with, uh, with the servant uh, who was healed of leprosy. But the section before it, I mean, is really a cool section for me. Um, it kind of gives me context for some other things, but uh, I don't know if you noticed. In other words, why didn't they start the section ex- chapter 5? That's what I'm one. trying to figure out. Can you help yeah, me with that? that's a really good question. You can't help so me with that. So the Torah portion is Tazria, which is Leviticus 12, verses 1 through 1359, which which actually fits with the story of Naaman. Exactly. Um, which has to do with leprosy. Why this is there? Yeah, I don't know. You got an answer? No, I don't, but it sure is going to help me as far as thinking. I'll give you some yeah. some. Thoughts about, you know, sure. making connections. In other words, verses it. 42 to 40, what is it, 44, mm-hmm. um, have, or 40, yeah, 44, I've got nothing to do with the following 5-1. What's that doing in there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Sure, yeah, remember. so can I read it? Sure. So it says, a man came from Baal Sha'elisha, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of, I know why it's in here, by the way, oh. bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha says. So, so you know, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, so he here a man comes. I, I don't know why he came. I, I'm assuming yeah. he's coming to bless the man of God. I don't know um, if, if, if the intention was to give it to Elisha or whether it really was for the people. But either way, he says, Elisha says, give it to the people to eat. And then he says, how can I eat this before 100 men? How can I set this before 100 men? His servant asked. But Elisha said, Give it to the people to eat, for this is what Yehovah says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of Yehovah. Mm-hmm. Now, when I read that, I'm immediately, I'm immediately brought to the New Testament. You're usually the guy that brings up the New Testament and says, you know, in Matthew it says, and Revelation says. But when I read this, I think about the feeding of the 500. Here it's a feeding of 100. Is feeding of the 500 or 5,000. I'm sorry, the 5,000. And there's an actually another example where it's 4,000. Um, there's a couple different um, places where this happens. But I think one of the things that's so interesting about it is that you have these things that happen, and this is a completely different discussion. I don't want to go too far down the road, but you have these these situations that happen in the Tanakh, and this is just one of them, where we see it here. Here's an example of something happening, and then when we see it later um, in the New Testament, 
Um, for me, until I really started reading the Tanakh, I never knew this story was here. I never knew this section mm. was even here. Never even knew that there were any connections like that. But then now being able to read it and to see that connection, it's just really kind of cool for me to, to look at it and say, wow, this is something that happened before. So for the people who were reading the Tanakh and they see this happening in the, in the New Testament, did they think, oh, this is what Elisha did? You know, in other words, what, like in their minds, do they think, oh, this is, you know, this is something that Elisha did. So, like I said, for me, it was a, it really was an interesting thing. And I don't know why uh, the sections there. I do think it is kind of kind of interesting. Well, you had the secret, Rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I don't know why the sections there. Um, okay. But let me ask this question. Is yeah. this, you know, uh, we, we have other examples of people bringing things to uh, the man of God. We had the story where the where the woman provided the house uh, for Elisha, the room for him where he yeah. went to stay. So is that something, um, and I just want to bring this up yeah. in terms of um, people giving things to, uh, in, in this situation, giving them to Elisha, is, is there some spiritual basis for that? Is it a practical thing? Is it, you know, are they providing for him? What do you think is happening here? Hmm. Um, yeah, you know, he's doing God's work and he needs to eat. And, um, you know, so they're feeding him like it's, it's kind of obvious. So, you, yeah, so you're saying you're saying that. Ba- but even though he comes and he brings the food to him, Elisha says, give it to the people. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. I don't know if it's so obvious. I mean, what do you mean it's obvious? I mean, it, it, it maybe, you know, you're saying that it's obvious that he needs the bread. But the, well, the look, story so says the story, he, gives the sto- he gives the bread away. So. We've got the story of Elijah where the, where the ravens come and bring him food. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, yeah, you know, generally, you know, people need to eat. And if somebody is engaged in, in the work of God, then those who are benefiting from it, they should feed him. You know, that, that seems, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you're right here. He's saying, look, I'm not the one who needs to eat. Watch what I can do. And he performs this miracle. And I, and I love how it ends in verse 44. It says, Kidvali Yehovah, according to the word of Yehovah, or literally like the word of Yehovah. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of the verse Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, where it says, um, uh, you know, uh, let's see, uh, he fed you man uh, or manna in English. He fed you the man, which you did not know. And your fathers did not know in order to inform you that not, uh, upon bread alone shall live man. Yes. For mm. according to all that goes forth out of the mouth of Yehovah shall a man live. Mm. So, uh, that, that seems to me like a really cool connection here mm-hmm. that we've got, you know, here they're eating based on the word of Yehovah on what mm-hmm. comes out of the mouth of Yehovah. And, uh, and the same thing here in Deuteronomy three, that, that, that's what it speaks to me mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, may, maybe the message here is, look, you know, you, you think you need to feed those who are doing Yehovah's work, but he can take care of himself. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, look, you know, uh, we had, we, did we do the story where he had the, the upper room and she prepared for him? Of course we did okay. that story. It was one of our best ones. We said, okay, I don't, rem- I don't remember. You were in my upper room at my house. That's, you know oh, you that, oh, that's that. right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, you know, yeah. I mean, in a very practical basis, um, you know, uh, if someone's engaged in God's work, the people who are who are who worship Yehovah and, and care about his word, they need to feed that person. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, I will say this, uh, Nehemiah, one of the things, the great advantage is about obviously being together. And again, the way that we've done this, I used to always argue with you about the fact that I would be opening up my Tanakh and you'd have this computer with all this information. And folks, I got to tell you something, this computer, it frustrated me because I'd ask him a question, he'd tap, 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 and boom, it would come up. Eventually, I gave in. And I realized it's really a powerful thing because you can get information. And like, I just, I want to throw just one thing out to you to check because you can do this so quick. Yeah. So in, in the beginning, it says a man came from Baal Shalisha bringing the man of God. How many times do we see the phrase man of God? Um, and, and, and the reason I'm asking this question is 
is that this is a situation where obviously this is one of the ways that he's being described. And we also know that Elisha was a, a prophet. Maybe there are other terms um, that, that were used. Yeah. But, um, but I just thought it was, it was just kind of interesting, you know, how many times do we see it? And not to go into the details of who all are, are, are called that, but, um, you know, it's, it's there. Just it's one of so those. So we've things. got it 76 times. 76 times. And that's the, okay. Yeah. Yep. That's what I got. 76 times. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Well, maybe we could do... So, th- for example, we have the first one is Deuteronomy 33.1, where it says, Moshe Isha Elohim, Moses, the man of God. Yes. Um, we've got, let's see, uh, Joshua 14.6. We've got, again, there is Moshe Isha Elohim. Yeah. Um, but then Judges 13.6, uh, oh, we'll get to this section, actually. Yeah. The, the woman says to her husband, she, she says, Isha Elohim ba'ilai, a man of God came to me. Yes. And we actually find out later it's not actually a man, it's an angel. That's right. But it looks like a man to her, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so we've got, I mean, you want me to go through all seven? No, 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 no. I just wanted to be able to throw that out there, that there are these, yeah. these examples of There's a bunch the of times that would be called. And, and I should point out this phrase, man of God, could also be translated as divine man mm. in Hebrew. There is that concept. That Isha Elohim is a man of God, but it also means there's something about that man that's divine. Mm. Not that man is God, of course, but he's got the divinity in him, the spirit in him. Or, Yeah, pretty cool. Okay. Well, we have that story. We're not sure exactly why that's there, but we did do, we did do what we uh, I'm sure we can do. look and find, you know, in, in, yeah. in the Midrash and find out you know, mm-hmm. why the rabbi stuck it there. But I wasn't that interested. I'm more interested in the story that comes after. You like the story after. Would you King's chapter? Because it ties into the weekly Torah portion, okay. which has to do with leprosy. And it opens up, it says, Naaman was an officer of the army of the king of Aram. That's Syria today. Mm-hmm. He was a great man. You just man. want to casually say that? Um, Tell the people again. That Aram today is Syria. Okay, it's Syria. Okay. Well, because there were three Aramean kingdoms, you know, people who speak Aramaic, mm-hmm. they were called Arameans. And there were three major Aramean kingdoms. There was Aram Naharaim, or Aram between the two rivers. Today mm-hmm. we call that Iraq. Mm-hmm. There was Aram Damasek, or mm-hmm. Aram of Damascus. And there was Aram Tsova, which today is Aleppo, mm-hmm. or, or northern Syria. Mm-hmm. So those were three uh, ancient Aramean kingdoms, that, and there were other ones, but those were the three main ones. So when it says Aram, and it doesn't say which one, it means Aram Damascus, Aram of Damascus. Because mm-hmm. um, that was the one that Israel had the most interaction with, for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. Aram, or, or and in some translations, I think it says Syria, mm. um, which is correct. Um, Syria, actually, that word comes from the, the name of a major mountain in southwestern Syria mm-hmm. or so- southwestern Aram Damasek, which is called uh, Mount Hermon in Hebrew. And we're told the uh, Syri- the uh, Arameans call that Syrion. Mm-hmm. That's where you get the word Syria. I got to tell you something. I, yeah. I, I might be maybe the smartest guy in the world I'm as sure far as obtains this because yeah. what I found a long time ago is you always got to find people to get around you that are smarter than you. You're a walking encyclopedia, Nehemi. I love when you do this kind of stuff. I say, there it is, Iraq. Well, you know, it's also Syria, and it's the mountain, it's all on the south. I love when you do that kind of stuff. It excites me. I really enjoy it. I know the people love so it's it too. Deuteronomy 3 9, it says the Sidonians, they call Hermon Syrion. Exactly. And the Amorites call it Sneer. Mm-hmm. And then also that appears again in uh, Psalm 20. Six, this reference to Syria, and that's where we get the word Syria. Excellent. But the ancients called it Aram. Okay. Uh, Aram Damasek. Okay. All right. So Naaman was an arm officer of the army, and you could translate as general, uh, of the king of Aram. He was a great man before his uh, master, before his lord, and literally Nisupanim, he was raised to faith, face mm-hmm. or respected, mm-hmm. for in him Yehovah gave salvation to Aram. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the man was a was a great war was a warrior. Uh, a valorous warrior and Mitzorah. He was a, a leper, mm. which is like kind of just stuck in there at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, all these other things he is, but he's also a leper. And um, and I, lo- I love this statement that why was he great? Because Yehovah gave him uh, through him salvation to Aram. 
And then I, what I'm reminded of is the section where Jephthah is writing to the king of the Ammonites, mm-hmm. and they're fighting over some territory. And he says, uh, is it not that which Kemosh, your God, gave you to inherit? You will inherit. Um, and all that Yehovah's, our God, has given to uh, before us to inherit, we will inherit. And it's almost like he's acknowledging this pagan deity. Um, whereas here in this story, we're being told, no, it wasn't the God of the Arameans mm-hmm. who gave them, whose name was Hadad, by the way. Yep. Um, uh, it wasn't that, you know, that he was great because Hadad gave him uh, victory. It was because Yehovah, the God of Israel, gave him victory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's something, you know, we could just move on there or I could get really excited as I did as I read about this and, and thought about this. And even as I was thinking about it again this morning, it, it just to me, when I read the first verse, the first verse of this story, uh, um, and I hear these words, and he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. And why? Because through him, Yehovah had given victory to Aram. Now, I stop and I say, you okay, victory. well, that's what it says, victory. He gave oh. salvation, gave deliverance. Um, yeah. But but the, the, it, the focus that I see is, and this is a curveball. And we're supposed to uh-huh. slow down and say it's a curveball. Oh. Wait a minute. It's supposed to say this. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because Yehovah had given uh, a salvation to Israel. W- w- wait a minute. What is this going on here where it says Yehovah gave victory to Syria? What's the problem? Yeah, no, no, not what the problem is. Well, we're I, I stop. No, let me, let me finish. Yeah. Let me finish. What excites me about it is it, t- it lets me know about the bigness of God. Amen. It lets me know about how amazing he is as the great orchestrator. It lets me know he's the one who's moving pieces, chess pieces, what do you want to call it, all over the entire world. And in this situation, for some reason, whatever the reason is, and we're going to find out more about it, is that God has a plan and had a plan that even through this man, there was victory to a, a, a country that it's not central. Which is the enemy of Israel. Which is the enemy of Israel. Nehemiah, what do you mean? we got to stop and talk about that. I mean, it's, you it's, know what this reminds me what? of? And this is something you shared with me years ago about how when you were a chaplain of the, of the Vikings mm-hmm. and doing the sports ministry, um, that you would go to pray before the game. Mm-hmm. And wasn't there some kind of thing you told me about, about... You know, saying, well, if God gives victory to our team, does that mean he's, he's taking it away from the other oh, yeah, team? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's why. <laughs> Over the, Vi- you know, the Vikings against, uh, you know, whoever. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry about like, the coughing, everybody. I'm, I got China this it thing is. going on, and it's not, going, it's not going away. So please bear with me. I'm going to try to speak less. Let Nehemiah speak more. Uh, but I've got it every once, in a, no, every once in a while. i got to stop and say something. Because yeah. when I think about this, and, I, and, and I'm glad you brought up the example of uh, those days when I would do that. People always say, well, which, which team you're on? It reminds me of this story, the <laughs> important story in Joshua, where Joshua goes before the man of God, the angel. And he, and, and he says, he says, are you, are you for us or for your enemy? And the, and the angel says, no, no. He just says, no, here I got the wrong question. It's not a matter if I'm for you, if you're for which team are you for me? And I, I, I look at this, I look My at God this story. Sorry. Yeah. I look at this story and honestly, I, I stop because it's going to connect Later, when we're talking, you remind me about this, Nehemiah, uh, through my coughing, that, that what this really, what this t- tells me right away is there's a bigger picture. Yeah. And there's a bigger picture in terms of what Yehovah is doing. Now, we happen to be presently, and I'm going to yeah. just bring this up. We happen to be presently here in Israel during a really intense time. Uh, though you're listening to this in late March, I believe they're listening to this in late March. We're actually here. Uh, this is the morning after uh, Netanyahu went before Congress in a really controversial uh, situation where he went and spoke. Uh, it's actually it, April 18th. It's April. Oh, this is April. Are you serious? Yeah. 
You're kidding me. We were that far. Yeah, oh we've God. done so many episodes. Yeah. Okay, well, anyways, if you didn't hear about that, it really is interesting. But he's talking about what's happening in the region and, and in different... Right. So yeah, today, and, when we're recording this, it's March 4th, 2015. It's March 4th, yeah. And actually, as I was listening to that, and I was thinking about this, and I just think about the, the amazing how God is, in all through Scripture, He not only operates, let me say this, He not only operates on behalf of Israel, He operates on behalf of His creation. And what he does in his creation, sometimes, like when I read this story, I'm like, wait a minute. Now, you just told us about Assyria. And, what, what, what do you mean? He, Syria, you, not Assyria. Yeah, uh, yeah Syria. Syria. Yeah, okay. I said Syria. Okay. Maybe it's, uh, I'm sorry. You see how you, you see? No, no. He, 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 he'll I go back and he'll, you know, he'll check this whole thing out. He'll make a, you know. We'll edit this out. <laughs> we'll edit this out. <laughs> no. But no, the, just the point, And again, what excited me about it was that Yehovah had given victory to Aram, yeah. which means it has to be for his purposes. It mm-hmm. wasn't given to him because, you know, he's a good guy. There's his purposes, and his purposes are well beyond sometimes what we think, and, and it just shows about his bigness. That's really what Amen. what hit me on, on that whole thing. Yeah. By the way, just to be for those who don't know, Assyria is a completely different kingdom, which mm-hmm. was in northeastern uh, Iraq today. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Hebrew, it's called Ashur, mm-hmm. and uh, um, this kingdom of Syria is called Aram or Sirion mm-hmm. in Hebrew. So Syria and Assyria are two completely different things. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I said Syria. I'm sure he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, verse, uh, verse two, can you read yeah. that? Sure. Uh, where are we? Verse two. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I got this here in the Hebrew. And Aram went out as uh, bands of raiders, and they captured from the land of Israel a young girl. And she was before the wife of Naaman. I mean, she was a servant there. Um, and I think this is really this was interesting to me because I've recently done a bunch of you know research on the... Um, the, uh, the the European invasion of, of America and how when they would interact with the America the Native Americans or the Indians mm-hmm. uh, um, very often there would be someone who was taken as a child and then that person would become the interpreter mm-hmm. uh, and it actually went both ways mm-hmm. meaning there were settlers uh, uh, European settlers who were captured as children and then they would translate for the Indians mm-hmm. um, and and vice versa uh, so this kind of reminded me of that like you mm-hmm. know here here's somebody who has a foot in both cultures and can explain things and it goes on and she said to her mistress. Achale, which is a really difficult word to translate. What do you have there for in verse three? For so, if, if only, my if man. only. Okay. Yeah. So I love this because achale uh, in later Hebrew is the word halavai, which is a word I actually growing up didn't know was Hebrew. Really? I thought that that was you know halavai or halavai is something like if only you know. Um, it's just a word that we used in, in the Jewish speech, and, and here is the biblical form achale. Um, if only my Lord before uh, would be before the, the prophet who was in Shomron in Samaria, um, then uh, literally uh, uh, his leprosy would be gathered from him. It would be gathered away. It would be taken away. Um, do you have anything to say about that? I do have something to say yeah. just about before that. Yeah. So again, I, I said why this caught my attention in the beginning. It says that he gave, he gave victory uh, for, for Aram. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive yeah. a young girl from Israel. Was this one of the victories that they were given? I don't know. You know, I mean, I'm just saying. And I, the reason I and I, I think that, and the reason I throw that as a possibility is that it, we know the end of the story. But again, and and what's under the end of the story is that God has this ability. Uh, See, amazing, you're, yours translated as victory in my well, Hebrew. It says salvation. Salvation. And I take that to mean Aram was actually under attack from someone else, mm-hmm. and that and whoever that enemy was, we actually don't know mm-hmm. that that enemy was defeated. Okay. Awesome. Well, what, what, well, we do know this. We do know that Aram also included in whatever that what they were doing was um, taking captive yep. people from Israel, and yep. that was allowed. And so, and it's being allowed, um, we have this servant, and so this servant is there. And again, like I said, we know the end of the story, and we're going to go throughout it, go through the story. But it just, it, 
I'm actually read it from a different perspective now. Yeah. As I'm reading it, I'm reading it. Okay, well, yahovah has got this thing that he's doing with this country. For what? I think we'll find out. So let's continue. Yeah. If only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria. How does she know that? Because she's from there. She's actually from there. Right. Yeah. Okay. He would cure him of his leprosy, which I think, by the way, this is another statement about her. I mean, think about this. She's captive. She's held captive. She's been taken from her land. And she's coming and saying, hey, let me, let me, let, you know, you know there, there's a way that there could be some help for you. I mean, I, I think we talked about this before, but it's like, wow. I mean, she's, in, in my terms, she's witnessing right now. I mean, she's... Can I say something else about her? Yeah. So she's really an Israeli. Yeah. You know, Israelis will give you unsolicited advice, even when you don't want it. <laughs> um, this is what we do. And I just spent, you know, a, a year in China where, where yep. you've been spending time now. And one of the things about the Chinese culture is they've been trained, don't give advice even when people ask for it. Mm-hmm. Because you, you may shame the person by telling him he doesn't know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And in, in the Jewish culture, we you know, if we see something wrong, we speak up. No, isn't that the truth? You know, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, who, the, like who asked her opinion? Who asked right? her opinion? But again, yeah. I think I, it's, it really says something about her. You know, she's yeah. basically saying, she's the one that's a captive. And she's saying, look, you're, uh, my master actually could be helped if he would see the man of yeah. God in Samaria. By the way, the place where I'm from. <laughs> right. You want to read verse four? Name it. Go ahead. Okay. And and he came and he told his his master, meaning the king of Aram, saying like this and like that, uh, spoke the girl who was from the land of Israel. And the king of Aram said, go and uh, and come and I will send, and I love it when it says in Hebrew, I will send a book. Uh-huh. Sefer. Mm-hmm. I will send a book, or I guess an epistle, but literally it says book, to the king of Israel and he went and he took in his hand um, uh, ten talents of silver and sixty thousand, um, or sorry, six thousand uh, gold. Uh, probably not talents, probably shekels. And uh, and and this is interesting. It says in ten changes of clothing. Wow! <laughs> like, doesn't that give you an indication of, of clothes how valuable it was? Wow! Today I go to Walmart and I buy a shirt for four bucks, mm. and you know if I get a stand in it, I just you know if I can't clean it out, I throw it away and get another four dollar shirt. Yeah, I here, wish there was clo- a Wal- I wish there was a Walmart. It took me two days to find a pair of underwear. <laughs> yeah, here. it's not like that me? here in Israel, but <laughs> but um, but imagine in ancient times a change of clothing was was equivalent or not equivalent, but was up there with gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says in verse 6, and he brought the book, Hasefer. What do you have? Do you have a book? Uh, let's see here. He brought the letter. The letter. But it literally says Sefer. And really, Sefer book is any written document. Mm-hmm. Like in Deuteronomy 24, we read about the, the certificate of, of divorce or certificate of separation. Mm-hmm. And the word there is Sefer. It's mm-hmm. a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and he bought the book. And he brought the book to the king of Israel saying, uh, and now um, when this book comes to you, behold... Uh, I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, and you shall uh, take away his leprosy. And it came to pass um, when the book was read, uh, when the king of Israel read the book, he tore his clothes and he said, am I God to, 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 uh, to kill and to uh, make alive, to kill and to resurrect, um, that this one is sending to me um, that I should remove his leprosy, uh, remove the man's leprosy? Um, for know, surely, um, and see that th- he's uh, looking for an excuse against me. That's what mm-hmm. it says there. Um, and I, I think what, what's really interesting to me about the story is, is you know, and especially the fact that it's a book. Mm-hmm. You know, that's lost in your English with your mm-hmm. little letter. Yep. But it says in Hebrew, a sefer. So here, they come before the king and they read a sefer. Mm-hmm. 
And what is that? That should speak to you. Mm -hmm. There's two other examples in the Bible where someone came before a king of Israel or Judah and read a book. Mm -hmm. And one example is where they came before Jeremiah Mm -hmm. and or sorry, they came before the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and they read the book that Jeremiah wrote Mm -hmm. with the book of Jeremiah's prophecies. Do you remember what it says there of what Mm -hmm. they did? Mm -hmm. So the the scribe would read it and it said he would read a a section and then he'd take the razor and and cut it out and throw throw it in in the the fire. fire. (laughs) But they'd read it first. (laughs) But they'd read it first. Oh, and it was a way of mocking Jeremiah. Here's what this crazy prophet says. And, um, and you know, and Jeremiah had the last laugh. Um, or Jehovah had the last laugh. And, uh, and the other story this reminds me of is where they came before King Josiah and they yes. read the book they found in the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the Torah. And, and in that story as well, Josiah tears his clothes. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such an amazing image. The king of Israel in this story here in Kings, he tears his clothes when hearing the, quote, book of the king of Aram. Josiah tore his clothes when hearing the book of the king of kings. Yeah. In both cases, they, they realized they were in trouble. That's why they were tearing their clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as a side note to, you know, to, you know, we talked about yesterday and today, today and tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, the application of today. I bet there are people who, who are tearing their clothes when they hear about what's going on with the leadership in, in, uh, in America. Mm. Not only in America, in lots of places. I agree with you about that. No, I mean, yeah. it's really, I mean, but when let me just ask. comes from the king of America. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Nahemi. Yeah. I, mean, I bet you can't tap, tap for this one. Okay, folks, it's a test. It's a test. I'm going to see how long it takes him. Nahemia, it says here, the king of Israel. Ready? Yeah. Ready? Get your fingers ready. Here yeah. we go. What was the king of Israel's name? Quickly. You've got 10 seconds. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Nine, Give me the answer. Eight. Seven. Folks, this is finally going to be at six, five. Give me the answer. Four, three. I'm not looking. I'm waiting for you to give me the answer. He doesn't know. I can't believe it. And neither do I. (laughs) Yeah. No, I don't either. It's kind of funny because we're reading in this story. It says the king of Israel. And you really have to do some, you'd have to put some pieces together to try to figure out. You could infer it. You could kind of infer it. But it it really, it isn't isn't clear, which really, to me, honestly, is is a part of the purpose of this thing. It isn't about the king of Israel. It really isn't. It isn't about the king of Israel. It isn't about him, you know, saying, you know, can I, can I, am I the one to do this? And then, of course, Elisha comes in, and that's what the great part of the story. It goes on to say... It also doesn't mention what the name of the king of Aram is. No, it doesn't say yeah. the name of the king of Aram. Right. Uh, now, and so, again, but here's Elisha. He, he hears, you know, he, he hears what's happening. The man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes. Now, can you hear this? Can you hear it? Elisha's... They're, you know, preparing uh, prophet pearls. He's about to do his, his next <laughs> section. You know, he's, he's going over his next section he's about to do. And here comes one of the servants, uh, says, says uh, man of God. Yes, I'm busy. The king just tore his robes. Why did he tear his robes? Well, there was a letter, a book that was sent from the king of Aram. And it's, it's ugly. And, 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 and it's so funny because what, is, what does Elisha say? He says, why have you torn your robes? He sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. Just like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's amazing. I mean, it's like, it's like Elisha doesn't, you know, get all wrapped up into it and, and all this. Just, just send him to me, and then, of course, we can, you know, we can go for, further. And I, I, want, I don't want to go too fast, yeah. too far, but are you, can I continue? Yeah, please. Okay. He says, and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And then this is what I think is so interesting. Yeah. Elisha doesn't go out and say, well, here's the great commander out there. Let me go and schmooze with him. You know, the commander's here. Let me go and, uh, you know, let me go and, uh, you know, you know, stick my chest out. He says he sent a messenger saying to him, go wash yourselves yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. That's it. 
Go wash yourself in the Jordan. Like, I'm not going to even see you? I'm not even going to come. Look, I'm working on traffic pearls. I'm here studying. You kidding me? Just go to the Jordan and wash yourself seven times. And and again, the story is a phenomenal story because if you're, I mean, listen, let's talk about the Jordan for a second. And he basically, he basically. Well, uh, let's, let's hear what he has to say. Yeah, let's hear what he has to say about the Jordan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I've said this before that. There are um, unnamed uh, streams in, in uh, you know Washington State that are bigger than the Jordan River, um, you know, you know that flow into some of the river. Anyway, so uh, we are here in um, let's see, we are in uh, we'll go la. Okay, what verse are we in? <laughs> Wait, come on. It says he's uh, it says we are here in the verse. Yeah. Go on, go now. Da, 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 da. Yes, verse ten. Verse ten. Yeah. Um, and Elisha sent to him a messenger, literally says Malach, an angel, but also it means a messenger, saying, uh, well, we read this, Yep. Uh, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, uh, and your flesh will return to you mm-hmm. and, it, and, you, and be clean, or ritually clean, tahor. Before you go any further, yeah. obviously, this is, I mean, this is an obvious issue. So mm-hmm. what's the section in Leviticus we're reading, and why they picked this section? It's a section on leprosy. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and Naaman was angry. And he went. And he went away. No, the English says he was furious. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. He was angry. He was furious. Uh, uh, and he said, "Behold, I said to him, uh, I said uh, to myself, he will co- surely come out, and he will stand and call in the name of Yehovah, his God, and he shall wave his hand to the place, and the leprosy will be removed." Oh, and I, what so, a that is what so a profound. Picture. What a picture! Because what Naaman is looking for, Naaman is looking for here. He's looking for the hocus pocus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they knew this from ancient times that magicians would heal in the name of gods and, and angels, and, and and you know what the things. One of the things they would do. We find this in the literature of magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, there's actually a Jewish magical literature, mm-hmm. which probably some of it may predate the Torah. Meaning, and I don't say that in a good way. You know, when the Torah comes along in Deuteronomy 18 and forbids magic, it's because magic existed in ancient Israel. Um, and what magic really was, it wasn't, you know, pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Mm-mm. It was healing in the name of a god. And essentially what they were doing was forcing a god to do their will. Mm-hmm. And what they would do is, the word in English, uh, it's not a word that everybody knows, it's to adjure, A-D-J-U-R-E. Mm-hmm. In Hebrew, it's lahashbiya. What they would do is they would they would essentially force the god or the angel or the deity to swear that he would heal. They would force him into an oath. Mm-hmm. And that was the purpose of the magical incantation. Um and, you know, so-called Jewish magicians, they'd heal in the name of Yehovah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually interesting. That's one of the reasons, you know, we, I've talked about how it was because of Roman persecution that the rabbis forbade people to speak the name mm-hmm. Yehovah. But there was a secondary reason, which was an internal reason. And the internal reason, we're told, is that there were people healing in the name. And that was seen in Jewish sources as magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually have some of these magical sources. One of the famous ones is the mm-hmm. Hebraicos Logos or in the, in the great magical papyrus of Leiden. Anyway, um, so there were people who were, who were healing using this name uh, as if it was some kind of power, you know, that it was a power it, that, that you, could, you, could, you could essentially get power over Yehovah or harness mm-hmm. his power through the name. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in Jewish sources, in my view, in biblical sources, that is viewed as magic. That's a, that's a negative thing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's for, forbidden. Mm-hmm. And we see, like, for example, when Elisha does um, heal and, when, and Eliyahu does heal, Elijah and Elisha, they pray. Mm-hmm. They're not saying, hey, God, here's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, you know, it's not, they don't have the power. Yehovah has the power and they're asking him to do something. Uh, and so this is what mm-hmm. Naaman expects. He expects the hocus pocus. Well, here's what I think 
think is the, the, the probably the most interesting thing to me about this verse is is again now I'm like I said what I appreciate so much in the is that is that when we get to some of these questions and finding finding the information and, and finding statistics and stuff is just it's phenomenal what the computer can do yeah. when you look in the and you look in the Hebrew text and you see this that actually that I think takes this to a different level if it said this I thought if, yeah. if it said this I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. That's what it yeah. says in English. Mm-hmm. If if that's what Naaman said, and even if it, in Hebrew it said something like, and, it, and he called upon uh, uh, on the the Lord his God, you know, Adonai or something like that. But what it says is that you would call, and this is Naaman saying this. I thought he would stand and call upon the name Yehovah, yeah, his God. So Naaman, <laughs> this is what this, what's, what's, what's so amazing to me. Naaman knows the name of Yehovah. He says, I thought. He would come out and call upon the name Yehovah. Right. It doesn't say, I thought he would come out and call upon the name of his God or, you know, Adonai or, you know, it says Yehovah. And so Naaman actually says the name and says, OK, aren't you going to come and do that? Aren't you going to come out and stand here, wave your hands and say, you know, in the name Yehovah, blah, blah, blah. And that's where the that's where the frustration comes. Yeah. You know, and instead he sends out a messenger. Then. Here comes the part that I think is so. Well, yeah, funny. I want to. I want to yeah. focus on this hocus pocus. To me, yep. this is amazing mm-hmm. that that he's expecting some kind of magic, and and this reminds me. I, I may have, we may have shared this in the original Torah mm-hmm. pearls, but I want to share it again. It's a story uh, that um, happened in the first century where there was a rabbi named Yochanan ben Zakkai, mm-hmm. and and we're told about how he had this interaction with some kind of Greek or Roman. Can I read that story? Yes, please. It says a Gentile asked Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Uh, these these rituals that you perform look like a kind of magic. Mm-hmm. You bring a heifer, burn it, pound it, and take its ashes. If one of you is defiled by a dead body, you sprinkle upon him two or three drops and say to him, "You are clean." Mm-hmm. So, so the imagine that. So this is talking about the ritual of the red heifer in, in Numbers nineteen. To the, in the eyes of a of a pagan, this looks like not just paganism, mm-hmm. magic. Yes, um, which even to a pagan is is you know is maybe in mm-hmm. certain pagan traditions is, is a forbidden thing. Rabbi Yochanan asked him, uh, has the demon of madness ever possessed you? No, the Roman replied. Have you ever seen a man possessed by this demon of madness? Yes, he said. And, and Rabbi Yochanan says, and what do you do in such a case? And the, and the Roman replies, we bring roots and make them smoke under him. Then we sprinkle water upon the demon and it flees. So this is some kind of pagan exorcism. And, the, and it's interesting in the mind of the, of, the, um, of the Romans, exorcisms were just fine mm-hmm. as long as it wasn't magic, mm-hmm. which... I have trouble wrapping my head around, but anyway. Um, uh, Rabbi Yochanan said to him, let your ears hear what you utter with your mouth. Precisely so is this spirit, a spirit of uncleanness. Water of purification is sprinkled upon the unclean and the spirit flees. Yes. Okay. So so he is essentially describing the red heifer ritual as a type of uh, magical exorcism. Mm-hmm. Um when the idolater had gone, Rabbi Yochanan's disciples said to their master, Master, you have thrust off that heathen with a mere read of an answer, but what explanation will you give to us? In other words, we know that can't be the answer because we know the red heifer is not about exorcism. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Yochanan said to him, um, I swear it is not the dead that defiles nor the water that purifies. The Holy One, blessed be he, merely says, I have laid down a statute. I have issued a decree. You are not allowed to transgress my decree. In other words, there's nothing inherent about a dead body uh, that causes you to be um, unclean in a ritual sense. And there's nothing inherent about 
There's no supernatural power of, of death that causes you to be unclean. There's no supernatural power of, of a red heifer pounded into dust and mixed with water that causes you to be clean. But simply we are being in obedience to God's commandments. Mm-hmm. He said to do it, so we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really profound. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is, you know, uh, you know, a, a first century uh, uh, essentially um, example of what is happening between Naaman and Elisha. That Naaman's like, what do you? What is this? Where's the magic? Where's, yeah, the, where's the magic? At? Where's the sprinkling and the you know and the uh, what's going on here? Come out and yell the real loud. Where, where's the show? Put yeah. on put on the hocus pocus the show yeah. and, and let's let's get this done. Mm-hmm. So read verse twelve. Yep, yeah, it says, and are not far 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 par. <laughs> the river, excuse me, the river. You read. <laughs> are not Amana and yours says Avna. Interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. a whole discussion, but we'll go past that. Mm-hmm. Are not Amana and Parpar. Uh, the rivers of Damascus um, greater than or better than all the, the waters of Israel. Are so, they better? Are they better than the waters of Israel? Yeah, okay. meaning they're they're bigger. They're, bigger. They're, they're you know they're more serious rivers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. You go into the Golan Heights, which is you know uh, at the foot of of Mount Hermon, mm. of what really Syria is, and all of a sudden it's a different you know situation. And that is amazing though. It is like amazing. Like rivers everywhere, those rivers, there's the water, water everywhere, and, and rushing here, waters. Yeah, yeah. And, and here in Israel, we you know we've got the Jordan, which is like you know a little. Smaller than some of the sewers in, in other countries, um, like quite literally. Um, all right. He, he says, uh, shall I not wash in them and be purified? And he turned and he went away in anger. Um, or does, your, does yours have a, a fear, it fury? It, it, went, it went out, in, uh, it went out in, 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 in heat. Okay. In heat. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's, <laughs> that's the literal. Hebrew. That's the literal. Okay. 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 Yep. okay. Yep. And his uh, servants came close and they spoke to him and they said, uh, father, I think it's interesting they call him father. Yes. Is it such a great thing the prophet has spoken to you? Why don't you just do it? Shall you not do it? Um, and even that he told you wash and be purified. Well, what's the big deal? Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. And in verse fourteen, and this is really cool. He went down and he baptized himself in the Jordan seven times. Just come on with that. According to the word of the man of God, and, and I intentionally translate it baptized mm-hmm. because this is one of the few places in the Tanakh where we have that the Hebrew word for baptized. Mm-hmm. Now, let me finish the verse, and we'll go back to that. Yep. Uh, and his flesh returned like the flesh of a young boy, and he was and he was clean. He was purified. So why do I translate that baptized? You know, I'll hear in the in the mm-hmm. Hebrew roots community they'll talk. They don't want to use the word baptized, so they use the word mikvah, and they'll say I was mikvahed. Um, but mikvah is actually not a mikvah is a noun in Hebrew. It means a pool of water. Um, the the verb is taval mm-hmm. to be dipped, literally yes. to dip. Um, and, and if you want to get the word of the week, Nehemiah, can we make that the word is, of the please, week? Okay. It's a really important. One. So the word is litvol or taval. Mm-hmm. Every word in biblical Hebrew we've said has a three letter root. The three letter root is tet bet lamed, and it means to dip something. And, and I love one of the one of the examples that appears. Uh, I'm sure we've talked about this before. But one of the examples, and by the way, in Leviticus, where you where you have the laws of ritual, it talks about washing in water, and it specifically does not use this word. Mm. The only time you will find this word is, for example, um, I don't know here, Leviticus fourteen six. Uh, it talks about um, taking a bunch of stuff, and it says and dipping them mm-hmm. um, to dip them in something. Um, Did you give the three letter root? Yeah, Tet Bet Laman. Tet Bet This is China-itis. Yeah. Um, so, for example, Leviticus 14, 16, it says, And the priest will dip his finger, his right finger, um, you know, in, in the oil, etc. Anyway, so the word is Taval. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you wanted to say, you know, I, you can't say I was mikvah, you could say I was Taval, if mm-hmm. you want to speak Heblish. Um, so, and, and I love the examples. Ruth chapter 2, verse 14, where we have a really clear image of what this means, Taval. Let me read you from the King James Version, see mm. what the 
Familiar English is for those who read that. And Boaz said unto her, to Ruth, at mealtime, come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip your morsel in the vinegar. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, some people actually say that she dipped it not in vinegar, but in hummus, because mm-hmm. the word is uh, chometz, mm-hmm. which is from the same root as hummus, um, which is, you know, chickpea dip. So anyway, and, so the, and today we say to dip. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to, so you dip. You di- uh, so he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. Mm-hmm. He baptized himself. And it's interesting. He could have stood on the shore and taken kind of like, you know, one of those puddle baths. Yep. You know, like yep. I know when I'm traveling and I, and I can't really clean, you know, get to mm-hmm. a shower. I'll stop and, you know, at the airport and I'll do one of those th- situations mm-hmm. uh, in the sink. Um, TMI. Okay. <laughs> anyway, no, just so, he, so that's washing in water, or that could be washing in water. Yes. Here, he completely immersed himself. Yes, he dipped himself like a piece of bread in, in the in the vinegar or in the hummus. Um, it's to be completely immersed, and um, he did it seven times and, according and look, to the word of the man of God. According mm. to the word of the man of God, mm. and I think that's really interesting. Here we have the only time where someone is purif- in the entire Tanakh, mm-hmm. as far as I know, as far as I can remember, where someone's purifying themselves by dipping themselves in a body of water. Mm. Never happens any other time, as far as I know. Um, really interesting. You don't, you don't, you don't think when they went through the Red Sea that they were being baptized, um, but they didn't get wet. They didn't get wet. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> it was a dry baptism. <laughs> Maybe they were being baptized. <laughs> Maybe they were being baptized in the flood in the time of Noah, but those were the people who it killed them, so they weren't really reborn. Isn't that true? Yeah, yeah. Um, isn't it interesting though? He he he's you know it's like he after he bapti- is baptized seven times in the Jordan River, then he has um, the flesh of a young boy and he's clean. Hmm. Interesting. Verse wow. fifteen. When he returned to the man of God with all his company and came and stood before him. Now he's actually in front of the man of God. Behold, yeah. now I know that there is no God in all the earth, and I think. But in Israel, so please take a present from your servant now. And before we go any further, yeah. when he makes that statement, see, when I read that statement, I go back to the beginning of the the story, okay. and and about how you know we don't whether, need to feed the man of God, we, he's going to feed us. Yeah, no, I mean it's just that no. When I'm going back to the beginning of the story, oh. before the section, Naaman himself, you know, it's that Yehovah had given victory, um, that 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 this that this young girl had been uh, captured, that this young girl ended up being the ambassador to. What was going on there that the father in his amazing, you know, orchestration, how far it goes and how deep it goes, that literally by the time he says this, he says, now I know this. So let's go backwards. How does Naaman know this? Well, Aram went and went and took a, a, a slave girl from that from that place and became she became a slave and that girl ends up being the one to tell the wife and who tells the husband who goes to the husband who goes to the king and the king sends the message and the message gets to the, I mean I just go story by piece by piece by piece and in all of it I see God's hand I mean like this story to me is just I don't know there's something so encouraging about it I just see God's hand in every single act that takes place from the very beginning of the story all the way till here and what is the end of the result the re- end of the result is this 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 situation has become a light to the nations. This man says, I now know there is no God in all the earth because of what? Because of not just because of him dipping, but because he's had an encounter with the creator of the universe. Well, and I and I think um, that this is the reason that Alicia didn't come out initially and perform the hocus pocus. And mm-hmm. Look, you could legitimately say, I heal you in the name of Yehovah. Yes, there's nothing wrong with that biblically. Um, as long as it's clear that it's it's come it's through Yehovah, we're asking him to do it. Amen. Um, and um, 
but I think the reason he didn't is he knew he was dealing with a pagan, and the pagan would immediately confuse the man representing Yehovah, the divine man, the Isha Elohim, with Elohim himself, with God. This mm. is in the pagan mind. It's very, especially in these days, it's very easy to confuse God with a man who represents God. And I love it. And I know you make fun of me of quoting the New Testament, but I love there's a no, story. I don't make fun of you. There's I think a story, it's amazing that you do that. Story in the book of Acts where, where, uh, where Paul and Barnabas are in some city and they're, and they're healing according to the story. And the people look at this and they say, oh, we know what's going on. These are two gods these that have come. These, and- yeah, that's, that, that's Hermes and that's, that's Zeus. Like, no, they're men who represent God. They're not gods. But in the pagan mind, if a man of God, if a man of God performs a miracle, then they confuse that and think that that is God. And so that's why he said, look, I don't, you don't even need to see me. This isn't about me. Yeah. This is about God. And here's what God told you to do. The word of Amen. God. And I think that's what the story is. about. And that's why I say the story is so amazing to me from the beginning to end is that you just see that we don't know the king's name. We don't know the King Aram's name. Elisha doesn't come out and say anything to him. We don't know the girl's name. We don't know. All we know is God did an amazing thing. And now we're going to get to the controversy. We're going to get to the controversy here. I mean, I don't know if we're going to get out of the section, but it says, but he said, who said this? Um, Elisha said, as Yehovah lives again, there's that word. Hi, Yehovah. We talked about it before. Before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And we know the story goes on later. So why did he refuse? Uh, maybe he refused because he said it's not about me. I don't want, don't don't give it to me. I didn't do anything. Maybe it's all about Yehovah. I don't want to have any aspect of you worshiping. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Else. He's performed the healing. Now it's time for the tithes. He didn't perform. It's time for the tithes and the offerings. No, no, he didn't perform. Pull the out the checkbooks <laughs> and the credit cards. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Look, I've seen these healing things on television. This is how it works. Okay. But that's not how it worked back then. That's not how it worked there. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, um, and then, and then, of course, here comes this verse. And I mean, I think this is worth yeah. um, uh, asking why. Mm-hmm. Naaman said, "If not, please let your servant at least be given two mules, load of earth, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to Yehovah." So yeah. he's bringing this dirt back to make an earthen altar. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. Exodus chapter twenty, verse twenty-four. Do you think it's Exodus it's- twenty? He's thinking, or do you think he's saying this is? The, I'm taking something from the land where, where this God did this amazing thing, and I'm bringing it back to my. I'm bringing it back to where I'm at. So why not a pile of stones? I don't know. I'm just why not a pile of wood to make a wood, uh, a wood altar? Or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So, so maybe it's a combination of both. And look, mm-hmm. what, I, what I am reminded of when I read this is a Jewish custom or tradition, which probably comes from this verse, not the other way around. Uh, when, when Jews were in the diaspora, and even today, mm-hmm. Jews who die off in the diaspora will often have a, a, a clump of earth from Israel thrown mm-hmm. into the grave mm-hmm. so that so that you are, in a way, buried in the land, not mm-hmm. often in a land of exile, but in the, in your, in the land of your forefathers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there is definitely something about, you know, uh, I think there's two things here. One is he wants the dirt clearly to make an altar. That's not a question. But why does he, you know, why the dirt? Uh, maybe it's Exodus 2024. Maybe it's he's realizing, okay, this is the holiness of the land. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Well, I wish we could end the verse there. You know, we could end it there and not have have any controversy. Like yeah. we could end the verse. And, and can I, I, I can't go past this. Yeah. I want to talk about. I want to read Exodus twenty twenty four. Okay. It says, uh, um, uh, uh, "Altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall slaughter upon it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your uh, flocks and your and your uh, and your cattle. And every place I cause my name to be mentioned, I will come to you and bless you. And maybe, just maybe, Naaman knew that if he brings this dirt back and makes a dirt altar that he will that Yehovah will 
mention his name there, yeah. and there will be a blessing. Nehemiah, there. it's not often you go too far, but Naaman is not reading the Torah, and maybe he doesn't he, know about Exodus twenty twenty four. He's bringing girl. back. No, no, the slave girl told he's him. He's bringing Look, back earth because that's the where the God did what He did, and He's bringing it back. He's a pagan. You say he's a pagan. You can't say he's a pagan, and now he's reading the Torah. He didn't read the Torah, Nehemiah. Maybe he's, he's a pagan that knew the Torah because the slave girl told him, "Hey, look, Naaman. Now you believe this stuff. You better get to make a dirt altar because Jehovah will bless you there." Okay. Well, let's go on because I okay. think the next gives us even further indication right, of what he's dealing with. Now, here's the part I say that's controversial yeah. because maybe if we could end the section there, we could have a nice little argument. But then yeah. it goes on. In this matter, may Jehovah pardon your servant. Now. I want everyone to just slow down with us, get your Bible, and read this in whatever translation you want. Yeah. I don't care if it's in the Hebrew, the Greek, the Septuagint, whatever it is. In this matter, may Yehovah pardon your servant. He calls him by his name. When my master goes into the house of the false god, Rimon, to worship there. And he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimon, Yehovah, pardon your servant in this matter. This is a problem. This is a major problem. Mm -hmm. No, no. You're, first, you want to say he's reading the Torah. If you read the Torah, if he's reading the Torah, he knows this. Well, no, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm so not he saying knows, he knows in the Torah. He, he knows at least the principle he's not allowed to worship exactly. another god. Exactly. Amen. And that's not obvious to a pagan. Okay. Meaning if a, a pagan could very easily see Yehovah performs a miracle and then, but he could then go worship some you know, elephant so god because question, the elephant god also has power to a pagan. My, and he realizes there's only one god. Where does he know that from? He's got to be from the slave. So, okay, so if he, he knows, knows that, so, what, so, so is there now going to be some sort of a special special dispensation for him? That's what he's asking for. I'm asking. Is he asking for a special dispensation? He's, he's, hey, listen, I know now there's one god. Look, I've got the altar. I've got the, your name, Yehovah. Or is this a guy who's in the process of learning about who Yehovah is and there's some sort of a, a, a grace here in the process? Well, I think the key thing here is he's saying, look, when, when it appears that I'm bowing down to the to this pagan god, Ramon. When I'm in the house of the false god right. and we're worshiping there. So, so his point is, <laughs> and the word is bowing down. Yeah, okay. He, his point, and it says three times the word bowing down. Uh, it says, uh, when my, my, my master, meaning the king, comes into the house of Ramon, to bow down there, and he leans upon my hand, and I bow down in the house of Ramon. When I bow down in the house of Ramon, let uh, three times he wants let to Yehovah bow. forgive your servant for this matter. So why is he bowing down? Because the custom and the ritual of Aram of of Syria is that the top general he sticks out his hand so the king can more easily bow down. Yeah, but he bows down with him. So down. his point is, I'm not bowing down as worship to the God. I'm bowing down simply as respect to the king. And it appears that I'm bowing down, but it's not really pagan worship. But I don't feel good about it because I'm bowing down in front of a statue. So, you know, what it reminds me of is in many churches, they'll, they'll especially like the Catholic and Greek Orthodox churches in Israel. I don't know about other places. They'll have the statue at the front of Mary or whatever and other things. And there's a very low entrance and, and literally the purpose of the low entrance, they'll tell you, is so that anybody who comes in here, even a Muslim, even a Jew, will be forced to bow down before our statue. Because you can't, you know, unless you can do like the limbo thing where you, yeah. <laughs> you know, you put your knees real low. Um, for most people, you're going to end up having to lower your head to get into the door and it'll force you to bow down. And the question is, is that really worshiping a pagan god when you, you lower your head in order to get into the door? And, and I'll tell you, no, my father in his entire life never stepped foot in a church because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to him, he didn't even want a situation where it would look like he was coming 
to worship in what he saw as a you know as a place. So you're with in idols, the Naaman, uh, you're in the Naaman fan club. You don't think he actually bowed down and, and well, he physically prostrated, but it was in only, front of a false god. But for the purpose of sticking out his hand and letting the other guy lean on him. Mm. And so, so he's saying, saying, "Look, I'm not really worshiping. So can I be forgiven?" And what's the answer? Well, hold on. Before we get to the answer, yeah. I just want to be clear now. You're saying that he's saying, look, here's what I do. I'm not really doing it. Um, well, so, he's clearly saying that. Yeah. The question is, is that legitimate, his excuse? Yeah. So why doesn't, he, why doesn't he just say, you know, he had an encounter with the creator of the universe. Why doesn't he just say, I quit my job and now I'm going to be an Israelite? Well, why doesn't mean, he just join? You mean he goes? I'm asking. Uh, listen, hold on. Let me finish. What He had an encounter. He had a situation take place. He's healed from his leprosy. Why doesn't he just say, the gig is up. I'm not going back there. I'm, I'm going to convert. Here. I'm going to convert. I'm going to enroll in the conversion yeah. program in Israel. Or, or I'm just going to. And then in 12 months from now, I'll apply for citizenship yeah. in the state of Israel. Well, and, that's what and, they would say there. I mean, so he can't. But basically, this guy, he, he could never be. He, he could never become a citizen of Israel. Um, you mean a modern present day? Present oh, absolutely day. not. No. Absolutely not. Because he's worshiping in, in the house of another religion. Absolutely not. They wouldn't let him. Mm. Yeah. So he is worshiping in the house of another religion. Well, it appears that way anyway. <laughs> it's what exactly is going on. I mean, okay. I'm just telling you what's happening. <laughs> I think what he's saying is, look, I'm I'm guilty. This is what happens. Look, it's the God Remon. Let's just—he's saying the name. He's saying yeah, the false God's name. The house of so let's just assume. Let's—I want to give worst case scenario that it really is that bad. I want to just assume for a second. Well, but he's killing. saying me, my me, heart me, isn't just, worshiping the God, even though me, my, my knees are. Let me just say this: I think it's as bad as it is. I think that it's as bad as it looks, and yet the prophet says something that I wish we could hear in our hearts right now, where he says, "Lech le shalom, go in peace." How can the prophet say, go in peace? There's got to be some theological reason here. What, what does this mean? Maybe there's, maybe this doesn't really mean go in peace. Maybe the, it means something else. Maybe like, don't bother me about that. You know, just get out of my presence. Mm. Don't make me have to answer. Or is Elisha saying this? Wait, can I give you the... I, can, go I, ahead. No, no, I'm going to ask. I'm, I'm fired up. No, here. I just got stuff. something. Okay, good. I'm asking the question and excuse my excitement here. But is Elisha really saying, listen, man, it, give some extra words. You're good at this. You know, give give us some other words that maybe it means something else. Is he really I got saying? It. <laughs> okay, good. Tell us. No. So Jerusalem is Jerusalem. Maybe he's saying Lech Shalom, go to Jerusalem. Yeah. No, this 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 could be the rabbinical answer. This is the type of thing the rabbis would come up with to say we know what it says in scripture, but it can't possibly mean that. Mm. So here's the excuse. He's Elijah says Elisha, Elisha says to him, go to Jerusalem and worship there. Mm-hmm. And he disobeyed and he went and worshiped in the house of Ramon. And that's not what it means. He's really saying go in peace. Mm-hmm. And I think he's saying go in peace. You could disagree with me because he's acknowledging this is a really bad situation. There's this, you know, the man's life will be lost uh, if he if he says to the king, look, I, I can't give you my hand to bow down because you're a pagan who's worshiping in a pagan house. So instead, uh, he he's saying, look, my heart isn't worshiping the pagan god, even though it appears that my knees are. And in practice, I'm going through that ritual. It's not, I, my heart is with Yehovah, uh, not with Rimon. And that, I think, is why Elisha says to him, go in peace. Well, you know what? I, you can I, agree I, or like I say, I, no, I agree or disagree. The only thing I would say yeah. is this, is that Elisha is a man of God. He knows exactly what's going on. He's, he's seen what's happened. This has been a miracle. And I just think this is going to sound really maybe too, I'm getting a little liberal like you. Uh, that that for him saying go in peace is 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 a way of saying I acknowledge I acknowledge the difficulty I acknowledge the fact mm. that the situation is what it is I acknowledge that you came from a pagan society and you have an encounter with God in the land of Israel but you're not going to stay here you're actually going to go back to that place you're going to go back to that job and there are people listening right now there are people listening right now. 
who are in similar situations. And let me tell you what I mean by that. They're, they're, they're in their life. They're going about their journey. And all of a sudden they have this encounter. And this encounter is, I mean, there's no question about it. I've had people call and say these things to me. I, I've just never understood Sabbath. I never understood Sabbath. But guess what? My job, my job has me working on Sabbath. And, and they're like, I'm under conviction. And this is a really big deal. Yeah, I'm under conviction. I've had a, my, my eyes are opened and I could actually give testimony about this. My eyes are open. What do I do? And I can hear Elisha saying this to them. Lech le shalom. And your process, go in peace now. God will work this out. Your heart, your spirit, your mind is right. And I do not say you've got permission to go and do whatever you want to do. Don't forget about the Sabbath, whatever. I'm saying that God has this amazing way. This story, and I will just tell you this excites me. This story shows me about the bigness of God and the grace of God that takes a man from a pagan, rooted, worshiping, false God situation. He has an encounter with God and the prophet says, Lech le shalom. Go in peace in the journey. If we hear the story later, I wouldn't be surprised if Naaman, six months later, Naaman's not even there anymore. He's not even in that job anymore. Maybe there's some amazing thing that happens where Naaman is completely delivered out of it. But in the moment, he could say to him, go in peace. And I, I want people to have that. I want people, Nehemiah, to hear that word. I'm sorry I hit Nehemiah. <laughs> I just he's, like, punched he's, like, he's like, I punched what? him. He's like, look. I'm he's down the other end of the, the world. The guy's so excited he's punching me. I'm punching <laughs> Nehemiah. No, because listen, you know, you, you probably yeah. aren't going to remember this. Can I, can, I, can I end with this? Um, you know, in the first process, 12, 13 years ago, when I first mm -hmm. had an encounter with God's time, God's Torah, God's name, there were things that I was a part of. There were things that I was doing that didn't match with what happened in Israel. And you didn't say it this way, mm -hmm. but I could hear the spirit, lech le shalom. In the process, in the process, let, let God be God. You're, you're just now coming into a place of understanding certain things that radically change different aspects of your life. And I just want to say this, uh, this man, uh, when, when, when Elisha says that to him, I can just hear the word grace. The grace oh. that, listen, can, the can grace, I just show you? I wrote in the computer here, grace. I notes. No, you did, really? <laughs> no, the grace that says there's, exactly a, there's, grace. A, there's a process, there's a journey. I could give you another biblical. Well, I don't want to Can I just say it. this? I think the message here is God, Yehovah, the creator of the universe, he's less judgmental than we are. Yehovah is less legalistic than we are. He has more grace than we do. Because if this was us, if this was the, the religious establishment, then this guy say, came. Naaman, you must now renounce the king of Aram. You must... Cast off all the pain. You must never go he'd back say, to that Naaman, land. You can't have that dirt because the sacrifice can only be brought to the temple in Jerusalem. And instead, and, and you're going to go. So you're doing two sins. You're sacrificing to Yahweh outside of the place of the temple. And number two, you're bowing down the temple of Ramon. You are a heathen. You are. And you know, the, I hate. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> can, can, I, can I just. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm vexed. Now you're going to hit me. I'm, I'm, I'm vexed. <laughs> he punched me. No, no. I'm vexed. Can I, can I tell you why I'm vexed? Yeah. I'll deal with people who don't think like me, who don't have the same faith as me, who have different concepts than I do. And I'll be criticized by my Jewish brothers and sisters. And, I, and I'll tell you very, very intensely, even more so by my Karite brothers and sisters. And their response to me is, Nehemiah, how can you go and have an interaction with those people who have a different theology, a different doctrine? And here's the phrase they use. They say, someone, can I just say it outright? They'll say, a Christian who keeps the Torah, this, I've been told this, is no different than a man who immerses himself in the mikvah holding on to a dead rat. 
This is the phrase. Or a Nobody's dead, ever said that to you. It's actually a phrase in Hebrew, not about the Christian, but holding on to the dead rat. And the image there is, yes, I've immersed myself in the mikvah to clean myself, but I'm still continuing to be constantly exposed to the uncleanness. That's the image of immersing yourself in the mikvah, holding actually a sheretz is the word in Hebrew. Um, and, I, and I've been told, Nehemia, how can you interact with those Christians who keep the Torah? How can you interact with those Hebrew roots people? They're no different from our perspectives, what I've been told, than uh, someone who's immersing himself in the mikvah and holding on to a, uh, a, dead, a dead rat. And I say, can we let Yehovah decide that? Here are people who want to serve Yehovah, the creator of the universe. Here's people who want to keep his Torah. Here's people who love the people of Israel. Why would I condemn them? Why are you condemning them? Let Yehovah work it out for them, and 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 let's just empower them with information. And um, you know, rather than saying, "Oh, I've got to go," I've got to. We've got to have the anti-missionary uh, organization. We've got to convert the people. We've got to convince them why they're wrong about the verse in Isaiah and why they're wrong about the verse in Zechariah. We've got, to, and then bring them into the fold and get them to stand before the three rabbis and immerse themselves in the real literal mikvah. This is this is the mentality. And I say, you know what? That's not what I'm about. Uh, you know, I really want to. I love this example of uh, of Elisha, where he says to him, "Lech l'shalom." He's empowered him with information, and the rest he needs to work it out for himself in fear and trembling, with prayer and study before the Creator of the universe. <laughs> and even the prophet Elisha, that's all he does. And I, and, I, and and now I'm reminded that I had a conversation with with, with a gentleman. Um, I think it was about a year and a half ago, and we were talking about this exact issue. And, and uh, this is actually a man who used to be a Christian and now is um, uh, gone in the direction of, uh, of, of, I guess, really rabbinical Judaism now. And, and he said to me, Nehemiah, you know, I, I just can't, I, I can't continue to condone what you're doing. You're speaking about Yeshua and you're, and you're not condemning the people who, who believe in him. And, um, and he said, can you show me any example in the Tanakh where the prophets didn't condemn that which wasn't in line with the biblical Don't understanding? And I actually brought this story. You're kidding me. Yeah, and he just in ignored the talked to him since. <laughs> well, I have, but he he ignored that and said, you know, no, I want to follow a lot. I want to be like Elijah in Mount Carmel and cause the fire to come down on the Messianics and the Christians and have them burned up. That was his his yeah. position. And I said, you know what? If that's what Yehovah wants to do, he'll do it. Um, <laughs> what I'm going to do right now is go in the spirit of Elisha. Amen. You know what, Nehemiah? With that, um, I want to. I, and I, I get to pray. You know, I'm kind of excited. Oh, I have a very free. simple prayer. Uh, for people, and I, I want people to uh, to just take a minute. Is it all right if I can do this? Uh, you know, uh, it, it is. It, it's humbling to be here, and it's humbling to open the Word of God and to find a story like this where you can't always come up with a nice, clean little answer. Yeah. But in prayer, what I want to think of, I want to think about those people right out that are out there right now that are listening that really are in a process of Wait, discovery. Do you hear that? That's, I the, do. that's the religious that's police. That's the religious police. Come here. Oh, no. <laughs> They're coming to get us in the basement apartment, not far from the Knesset. <laughs> what are we in the They're side of a way. mountain somewhere? We're on the side of a mountain. Side yeah. of a mountain. Uh, you know, we really, we, we appreciate your, uh, your listening. Uh, but I want you to just take a second for those that are, that are listening, just to bow your heads and, and close your eyes and think for a second. Uh, what would it be like for you if you have that encounter with God and, and, and that encounter that finds you in a place where it doesn't always match, it doesn't always fit with what the, what maybe people think are supposed to be uh, correct and according to the, the rules of the regulations. And not only the rules and the regulations, the statutes, the judgments, the commands of God that we know that are true and that are real. And at the same time that God finds, uh, we find a story like this where we see a man that just breaks the breaks the situation. And, and there are people that are listening right now that are in difficult situations, whether it's in relationships and jobs and circumstances. And I only have one simple prayer, and it's really only two little words. I say to that woman and to that man, to that child or that family, Lech la shalom. Lech la shalom. Go in peace. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to Profit Pearls with Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson. For more information, please visit Nehemiahswall.com and BFAInternational.com. International.com.